Welcome to the Texas Values Report. I'm Nicole Hudgens. I'm the policy analyst for Texas Values. We're the largest statewide organization focusing on faith, family, and freedom in the state of Texas. I hope you're having a great weekend so far. Maybe you're driving in the car, spending time with family. I know I've been on the road quite a bit with Texas Values. We went to the Republican Party convention last week, and we also did fundraising. It was the end of our fiscal year, and we're thankful to report that we came out uh just so blessed by the donations of people like you at txvalues.org who went and donated, who called our office and and made a donation so that we can continue the work we do for faith, family, and freedom. And then after that, I got to spend some time with some family on the 4th of July. It was so much fun. Got to hang out with my aunt and uncle, cousins and parents. We just had a blast. And this past week, there's been some exciting news happening this week on the issues of faith, family and freedom. Starting off, some historic news happening this week as President Donald Trump announced that Judge Brett Kavanaugh, will be the nominee for the U.S. Supreme Court after Justice Anthony Kennedy announced his retirement. Again, this is a major historic moment. Many of you know this this is the U.S. Supreme Court. Whoever is in that seat will be in that seat for many decades, Lord willing. And here to talk with me about the new nominee is Ken Klikowski from First Liberty Institute. Ken Klikowski is the Senior Counsel and Director of Strategic Affairs for First Liberty Institute, specializing in cases involving the First Amendment, and he's also a consultant with lawmakers and leaders in our nation's capital. He's a legal scholar, and he previously served as Special Deputy Attorney General of Indiana and worked with the faculty at Liberty University School of Law. Shout out to my alma mater. I just got my master's degree from Liberty. And he also helps with various D.C.-based think tanks. He received a bachelor's degree from the University of Notre Dame, studied history at Arizona State University, and earned his law degree from from George Mason. He received his bachelor's degree from the University of Notre Dame, studied history at Arizona State University, and earned his law degree from George Mason University. He also served as a law clerk to the chief judge on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit. Welcome to the show, Ken. Thank you for having me, Nicole. Absolutely. Well, jumping right in, some of our listeners, I'm sure, have seen the news about the announcement of of Judge Brett Kavanaugh. But from your legal perspective, tell us a little bit more about him. Well, absolutely. Uh, Judge Kavanaugh is a solid pick from President Trump uh, for the U.S. Supreme Court for the seat uh, being vacated by the retiring Justice Anthony Kennedy. Uh, Brett Kavanaugh has this mile-long resume that pretty much checks all the boxes. Uh, Yale undergrad, Yale Law School, clerked for the Court of Appeals, and then clerked for Justice Kennedy, who we will now, <coughs> excuse me, who he will now, God willing, replace. Uh, went on to a very distinguished career in law. Uh, did uh, did pro bono work on a number of issues that would be important to your listeners, such as religious liberty. He helped with uh, with uh, I believe three 
uh, U.S. Supreme Court cases on religious liberty. He was chairman of the Religious Liberty Practice Group at the Federalist Society for Law and Public Policy, which is the flagship national organization for conservative uh, legal thought, for constitutional conservatism, and uh, in pushing an originalist uh, interpretation of the U.S. Constitution. And, and And I'll say that is where our focus needs to be is you don't look at specific issues. Uh, you don't look at, um, at at specific case outcomes. You want to look at a judge's judicial philosophy. And I should add, he had several high-ranking political appointments and then has been a judge for 12 years now on the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit, uh, which is considered the most prestigious of the federal appeals courts. Pretty much it is the second highest court in the land. It's one step down from the U.S. Supreme Court. (laughs) And uh, and in the 12 years that he's been on the court, uh, Judge Kavanaugh has been Uh, an outspoken supporter of originalism, which is that the terms of the U.S. Constitution must be interpreted always and only according to the original public meaning of those terms, Uh, the the meaning that you determine by examining the text, uh, the structure, and the history of the Constitution. And then when it comes to interpreting federal law, the, the other part of a judges of a federal judge's job, and in fact, what most of their cases involve is federal law rather than the Constitution. And in that regard, he's a textualist, and that is that where the uh, that you follow the text uh, of the law, you follow it the way it's written. When Congress's uh, text is clear, that unambiguous meaning always controls, uh, always must be applied. Uh, and um, and that where the text is unclear, you use all the standard uh, tools of grammar uh, and uh, and uh, construction to determine what the best meaning of the text is, regardless of whether the judge personally agrees with that as a political matter or a policy matter. And he's had big cases on any number uh, of topics that have uh, showcased that approach of originalism and textualism during his 12 years on the bench. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, and if you just turned tuned in, we have uh, Ken Klikowski from First Liberty Institute, and he is giving us a great briefing on just uh, the new nominee, Judge Kavanaugh, who was just nominated to the U.S. Supreme Court by President Trump. And this is really just the first step of the process of if if Justice Kavanaugh will be confirmed, we believe he will be. But tell us a little yes. bit about that process, Ken. Well, absolutely. I mean, it begins uh, with what we've already seen, and that is uh, that first, when a justice uh, leaves the bench, in this case through retirement, which is how you always uh, like to see it happen, as someone gets to go enjoy their retirement years and uh, and opens up a seat. At that point, the president goes through a vetting process uh, to uh, to determine uh, who to pick uh, as his replacement. Uh, nominating Supreme Court justices uh, is probably the second most uh, momentous thing that any president does. The only thing that is potentially more significant than that is uh, leading the country into war when Congress authorizes war. Mm. And uh, and shy of that, uh, appointing justices to the Supreme Court 
uh, is the biggest thing that a president does uh, for this nation and for history. And in the case of President Trump, uh, he has uh, developed a list which has grown to 25 of uh, of individuals that legal minds that he would consider for Supreme Court vacancies. Uh, it started at 11 during the presidential campaign. It grew to 21, and now it's at 25. It was from that list that he selected uh, Justice Neil Gorsuch. Uh, the president, in developing that list, has the White House Counsel's Office work with the Justice Department Office of Legal Policy, and they consult with the Federalist Society, they consult with the Heritage Foundation, mm-hmm. and it is a broad-based, very in-depth effort to, to develop uh, this list. And it's from that uh, that the president starts to narrow things down. And he started with a working list of, it looks like, six people uh, that he selected out of the 25. And then that six became three. Uh, actually, the six became four, uh, and then down to three. And uh, and then finally, he selected uh, Judge Kavanaugh, who, of course, he rolled out to the nation to great fanfare on Monday. Uh, once that is done, and of course, it's just intense vetting that goes on up through that process and interviewing them and checking with all sorts of other people. Once the president nominates it, that nomination goes to the Senate. And at that point, it gets referred to the Senate Judiciary Committee, where they will spend uh, several weeks here examining uh, Judge Kavanaugh's record, uh, which, uh, which I think I've, I've heard opponents on the left saying, oh, my goodness, look at all the documents he's been involved with in his career. By some counts, it's over a million pages. Oh, it's going to take us years to examine this, surely past the midterm elections. All that's a bunch of silliness. The reality is he's been on the bench for 12 years. Everything he did prior to that in his whole life was thoroughly examined before he was put on the D.C. Circuit. Now that he's a federal judge, his opinions as a judge are the best uh, insight into who he is and how he would be as a justice. So I would say that the record now need only be the past 12 years, where he's authored about 300 300 judicial opinions. Uh, After they've done all of their examinations, there will be probably uh, at least one week, possibly two, of uh, committee hearings in the Senate Judiciary Committee with Judge Kavanaugh and also with other expert witnesses. Uh, Then the Senate Judiciary Committee will vote on his nomination. I'm confident they will vote it favorably Mm -hmm. uh, to the full Senate, where uh, where then it goes from during the committee process, it's committee chairman Chuck Grassley of uh, Iowa who's in charge. Once it's handed off to the full Senate, then Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell uh, is in charge. We'll have, I'm sure, a full week of Senate floor debate, if not two weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guess would be they just need one, but maybe they spill into two. Uh, followed by a full vote of the Senate with all 100 senators. And I believe and am confident that at the end of the day, Judge Kavanaugh is going to be confirmed with bipartisan support. I would predict they're going to get about three Democrats to vote for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, though I must say beyond that, um, the, the, the unhappiest people in America right now, I think, <laughs> are the 10 U.S. senators who are Democrats but who represent states that were carried by President Trump in 2016, who are those 10 who are up. Uh, here in uh, in 2018 for re-election, right. because I would bet that Brett Kavanaugh is going to be very very popular in those mm-hmm. states. Uh, that uh, and these senators are going to be stuck between a rock and a hard place because the far left right. is whipping itself into a frenzy. 
they will absolutely demand that every senator vote no. They will not tolerate yes for an answer. They will not tolerate any defections. Uh, they'll scream at their bloody mur- a bloody murder that if you vote to confirm Brett Kavanaugh. I just heard one Democrat attack the other day that said people will literally die if he gets confirmed to the Supreme Court. And I'm sitting here reading that. I'm like, and I'm hearing that. I'm like, what do you mean they're they're going to literally die? The I mean, left doesn't, but exactly the left ahead. has the left has really just freaked out, <laughs> for lack of better words. On and if you think and, they freaked out now, just wait about a week. Exactly. their attacks are not getting traction, and so they're going to get more desperate. Right. And I think that's what was so interesting is is I think even one group uh, had a press release statement. They released it, and they had, they forgot to actually put Justice Kavanaugh's name. They just yes. had the statement prepared, ready to go, which I understand, you know, organizations do that. But, you know, forgetting to put the name, no matter – the point is, yeah, yeah, no matter what, they were back. going to – In essence, we – we strenu- we completely oppose the nomination of XX, two big X, right. XX for the U.S. Supreme Court. And uh, yeah, you know, and uh, that that's just emblematic, I think, of the incompetence of the modern political left uh, that uh, that they that they are that they're so over caffeinated about this issue <laughs> that they scream, send it out, send it out, send it out, without saying, by the way, insert the name before you send it out, and. Um, and, and, and uh, I mean, they, they were at the U.S. Supreme Court. I was right by the court when the announcement was wow. made. And they had these signs opposing Kavanaugh, but they had these signs with, like, blanks for the name. And they had people with Sharpies mm-hmm. who were quickly scribbling in the name so that they could then put the signs in front of camera and say that this is the worst possible person that right. Trump could have could have picked. And they didn't have, even have a name yet. So, I, yeah, right. I believe that. It, for red state Democratic senators, their left-wing base is going to demand mm-hmm. with screams and with wide eyes that every Democrat oppose them. But the problem is that those 20 percent or so of voters in the middle who make their state a red state and who voted for President Trump. And that's, that's that an important point. Right. Yes. That's an important point is people have to remember – one of the main reasons why pe- people voted for President Trump was because of the Supreme Court. It's that important of an issue. And so seeing how, as, as you so well explained, the process that just to even be nominated, that he went through to go through the, the Department of Justice to consult with the Federalist Society, uh, the Heritage Foundation, other other people and groups having, you know, wise counsel on who's supposed to be in that seat. You know, this was a very important process, and it's a process that the American people wanted. And I think that's what's important and, and probably why the left is freaking out, because actually we wanted somebody uh, in office that was going to choose the right judges. Yeah, that's right. And the poll numbers bear that out. Uh, polling. Exit polls in November 2016, as people cast their ballots, uh, polls showed that half of voters, 48 percent, so half of voters, said that the Supreme Court was at least very important in their Mm -hmm. deciding their vote. So half said it was important or more. Uh, 21 percent, so one out of five, said it was the top issue for them, the number one issue. This is why they were voting uh, for for president, one way or the other, is they were voting uh, for the for the Supreme Court. Those voters went for President Trump 
over Hillary Clinton by a margin of 57 to 41, which is an overwhelming margin, a 16-point margin Mm -hmm. in favor of President Trump. And so it means that for the people who really care about the court and that there are a ton of them, they, by a very strong margin, supported President Trump's commitment to appointing originalist and textualists to the U.S. Supreme Court. And that's why the senators in those states, if they say they're going to vote no on the nomination, those voters in the middle are going to say, I'm not happy with you, and I don't think you're representing me, and maybe I'll take a look at someone else who will. But again, if, they, if those senators say, yes, I will vote for them, they're going to have a base that isn't going to say well, Senator, I respectfully disagree with you. I know that we agree on a great many things, but I suppose we will agree to disagree on this one. I confess I'm disappointed, but I'm happy with so much of what else you're doing. No, there'll be none of that civil talk. Right, exactly. Uh, It'll be that they'll they'll be screaming traitor. They'll be screaming uh, treason. They'll probably say that those senators are collaborators in part of some vast right-wing conspiracy. Which is so sad. Regardless of how they articulate it, it's right, it's just there are 10 Americans right now who are having really bad days pretty much every day, and they are the 10 red state Democrat senators who are up for re-election in 2018 because whatever they want to talk about, hey, let's talk about China, let's talk about trade, let's talk about education, let's talk about the environment, whatever they want to talk about, the, the voters in those states are saying, yeah, 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 Senator, those are important. We'll get to those later. What we want to talk about today is the Supreme Court. Exactly. Are you voting yes exactly. or no? On Brett Kavanaugh. Exactly. And and Ken, we so appreciate this insight. This is very important for our listeners. And we appreciate you taking the time. We're, we're going to have to jump Absolutely. to our next guest. But Ken Klikowski with First Liberty Institute, thank you for the work you do uh, to protect you, our First appreciate Amendment. It. All right. Uh, your listeners can check all this out at firstliberty.org. We talk about the judge all the time. And thanks so much. God bless. Thank you so much. You too. All right. That was Ken Klikowski. He is, let me tell you folks, he is one of the leading experts on these issues. And I'm so thankful we got to have him on on the line to be able to talk about these issues. There's so much that goes into the decisions of the nominee, what's happening politically around the issue. So we were just so thankful to have uh, such a great expert on our show. And next, we are going to have a very special guest, other news in Washington, D.C., the House, U.S. House Appropriations Committee added on an amendment that protects the religious freedom of faith-based child welfare providers, adoption agencies, uh, foster care agencies, a very important amendment. The amendment actually started off as a bill, H.R. 1881. And we had sent out an action alert requesting that you contact your congressman, asking them to co-sponsor this bill. Uh, So we were thankful to see that this bill was added on as an amendment, as I said, uh, in the U.S. House of Appropriations Committee to the Labor and HHS bill. Very, very important. And many of you know that in Texas, we passed a very similar bill, the Freedom to Serve Children Act, which ensured that the state government wasn't going to punish groups like Catholic Charities or Buckner Homes for Children or Lubbock Christian Homes for their sincerely held religious beliefs. So we got those protections in state law, and now we're making sure that these protections are at the federal level because, unfortunately, there are groups in Texas that have still been targeted uh, with lawsuits, and it's because of their sincerely held religious beliefs. So we want to make sure that they're protected at the federal level.
And with me to talk about this today is Randy Daniels. Randy Daniels is the Vice President for Buckner Homes for Children. Buckner is a global ministry dedicated to the transformation and restoration of lives. They are a Christ-centered organization that helps with children uh, and senior adults, and they want to build strong families through Christ-centered values. Their values of their organization are to be Christ-like, servant-spirited, and passion-driven. And it's such an honor to have Randy Daniels with us on the show. Thank you so much, Randy, for joining us. Uh, you're welcome. It's uh, Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Tell me a little bit more about the work that you do with Buckner Homes for Children. Well, I oversee a, a number of areas, uh, all of our program development globally, so it could be here in the state of Texas or internationally we, where we work as well. Uh, a key piece of that, whether it's international uh, or in the state of Texas or in D.C. is government, government relations and helping Take the rights of uh, groups like Buckner uh, to do the work that God called us to do in the case of Buckner uh, 140 years ago. Uh, so that's a big piece, uh, monitoring evaluation, uh, humanitarian aid work that we do, missions, volunteers, etc. cetera, uh, because they all, all fit together to, to do God's work. Mm-hmm. Um, well, thank, thank you so much. And you actually um, testified in Texas, in the in the state Senate committee, about the importance of protecting the religious freedom of Buckner, and you know, tell us a little bit more about that because you were speaking in favor of the bill that would protect y'all's religious freedom to continue to operate and to serve children and, and place them in in Christ-like homes. Absolutely. Uh, he had the opportunity to to go to Austin a number of times during the session and speak uh, to various uh, committees uh, on behalf of the bill in support of the bill. And it was uh, James Frank out of Wichita Falls who sponsored the bill on the, the House side. And it was an, an incredible opportunity for the faith-based community to come to the table, express our views, our sincerely held uh, beliefs, our uh, as expressed in our, our Christian values, and to do it in, in, in I think, in a manner that uh, we were wanted to bring solutions to the table. Mm-hmm. Groups like Buckner, uh, Love Children's Home, Catholic Charities, other groups that participated have been doing this uh, for many, many years. And you combine the, the, the number of years of experience that these groups had, and, and they had numbered into the, uh, into the thousands of years. But we wanted to make sure that we were heard, and it was a positive message that we wanted to be included in providing solutions for the children of Texas first. Mm -hmm. After all, we'd all read the stories of children having to sleep in in offices, hotel rooms, because there's just not enough families for kids, And, and groups like Buckner. We wanted to ensure that our representatives, our senators in Austin were hearing that we're part of the solution, that God called us to do this, and we want to continue doing this. So it was really more about how do we make sure that we continue to provide families for, for kids. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so important, you know, especially with many people may not know, but in Texas, we were experiencing 
uh, as CPS crisis, as, as you just explained, you know, children sleeping in offices and hotel rooms. So we need all hands on deck when it comes to this issue. And in Texas, 25% of our child welfare providers are faith-based groups like Buckner, as you said, Catholic Charities, Lubbock Christian Homes, groups like y'all that are ensuring these kids have a place to sleep, that they're being well taken care of, that they're being loved, that they're cared for. And so it's so important that y'all are able to continue the work that you're doing. But unfortunately, you know, around our nation and even in the state of Texas, uh, these groups are being targeted because of their religious beliefs. And so that's why it was so exciting to see that, you know, y'all were able, as you said, to bring a positive solution uh, to the table. And then also we're seeing the impacts that now in D.C., you know, we're one step closer to y'all having protections at the federal level. Absolutely. Those are so important because even after the passage of the, the, uh, the bill in, in Texas, one of our uh, colleagues who participated with us is in, in, in Austin, Catholic Charities, they were targeted by, uh, at the federal level because of the work they're doing with children who have crossed our border and are placed into, into families. Mm-hmm. Uh, a ministry that they provided for many, many years, but they were targeted in a federal lawsuit. Uh, so we've, we've seen that happen in Texas, even, even though in the, in the midst of passage of this bill, we also saw the same thing happen in, in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one of our, our uh, sister agencies is is not targeted, but is is referenced in that lawsuit at the federal level. Uh, so it, it, it was it, it, it's so encouraging to see that what happened uh, in the appropriations committee that they they passed as as an amendment mm-hmm. this protection uh, this inclusion act that uh, that allows at the federal level for people not to to fear uh, continuing this ministry with kids. That's right. That's right. Thank you so much, Randy. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing for children in Texas. And and I know that, Buckner, y'all do ministry around the world, but especially for the work that you do here in Texas, uh, making sure that these kids have homes, safe, uh, loving homes to be in. So thank you for the work that you're doing. Well, thank you for uh, uh, the kind of work that you do by, by being willing to, to, to take the act uh, or the, uh, the message uh, more globally through radio and other means and, and continue to support the uh, ministries like ours. With, without that message, that consistent message and that support, uh, uh, we might not be able to, to be successful in continuing this kind of work that we're doing. Absolutely. Well, it's it's amazing when the body of Christ comes together and we get to work together to to help children in need and, and to do the work of the ministry. So thank you again, Randy, for all the work that you're doing. And we encourage you, if you want to learn more about the work that Buckner is doing, you can go to buckner.org. That's B-U-C-K-N-E-R dot org. Find out more about the work they're doing for children in the state of Texas, in the nation, and even around the world. And if you want to find out more about what Texas Values is doing, you can go to our website, txvalues.org. We've got an exciting policy conference coming up, the Faith, Family, and Freedom Forum. We've got a 
an incredible list of speakers. I encourage you to go to txvalues.org and sign up for that early bird pricing. It's only $30 for two days. And you'll also get uh, Chick-fil-A lunch. That's going to be exciting. But listen, the lineup of speakers we have is just incredible. So remember, txvalues.org. And stay tuned to what's coming up on, on the issues of faith, family, and freedom by signing up for our email list. Again, that's at txvalues.org. And thanks again for tuning in to the Texas Values Report, where we're standing for faith, family, and freedom. Have a great weekend.